welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome, adventurers, to episode 81 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. Hey, and it's King Scott here. And I am Teacher Ryan. And today we got a big ol' episode, guys. We got a bunch of recent adventures, including Rumble, Rumble with two Ebs and two Bs. Through the ages, I'm going to talk a little bit about the expansion. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Tile, Tum, Taletum, Taletum. Tilatum. Panned. There's a D on the end. Under Falling Skies, Catastrophe. Guys, we're going to talk Terracotta Army for the review today. We're going to look back at Factory 42. We got a discussion about roadblocks when we're trying to learn a game and some of the tips that we have to do it gooder. And then, of course, hang out with us to the end of the episode because, guys, I didn't tell you, but I planned a little game for you and the adventurers can play along as well. What do you guys got going on? How we been? Everything's great. We had a holiday party at the old workplace, and uh, you know that's probably all I have to say about that. It was really good. <laughs> that's it was all really you got. Fun. Okay, fine, Ryan. Scott, what you got? Well, this is something new. I've been at home, oh. and it feels great. <laughs> so it's been uh, a lot of catching up on things, just kind of relaxing, putting the suitcases away for a little bit. So, I mean, it's a good time for it to happen because, hey, it's the holidays, so you got to be busy. Made your way uh, over to my house playing some games. Yes, yes, we got a chance to do that, and that was very awesome. I wish I could come over and play games with you guys, but, you know, that's a good 200-something miles away. I get on the trip. We're worth it. Speaking of which, Ryan, I was thinking about it. If you want to come out to one of our game days, you have a place to stay at my house. Like, we'll set up the basement for you. Uh, just don't touch any of my stuff. And uh, you got a place to stay? You can come out here. I won't touch any of your stuff. I won't be like your cat. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> you know what? That kind of stopped. That cat stopped doing that. So uh, I've decided Cookie, as my daughter named him, Cookie can stay because he's, he's no longer knocking things. Well, except I set up Endless Winter and you have your one chieftain guy and that's a miniature. And I looked mm -hmm. at the board, you know, I left for work, I set it up the one night, learned it, left for work. And I was like, well, I'll play out a few more turns tomorrow after work. I get back and I'm like, where the hell's the red chieftain? And I'm like, I was like, well, all the other pieces are where they are. Like, you can usually tell whenever a cat had its way with a board game. And it was just one piece. So I'm looking on the floor, the carpet. I'm, I'm on like my hands and knees, like with my eyes looking underneath sofas and stuff. It was in the laundry room. Laundry room right next to the drain. It almost went down the sewer drain. But oh, that wow. Was where oh, it was oh. found. Guys, I'm happy to say Ducks in Tow, the Bugs and Slugs expansion, it funded... Really glad for Stephanie and the team at First Fish Games. That's one that we uh, had the chance to show off at the last meetup, Scott. It, uh, yes, that you did. And that had a lot of people talking. Everyone that I've talked to has just gone on about how adorable that game is. And I saw a couple upcoming that caught my eye, one of which I don't know much about. The other one, I don't know much about either of these. I'm going to lead off with Soul Last Days of a Star because this is one that I understand it's a few years old and I've always had it on that. Hey, I would trade for this pile, right? You know, I'd like to get a hold of this thing, but it was like a hundred bucks or so. Ryan, I'm glad to say that you highlighted it. Why don't you tell us a, a little bit about uh, the, this Kickstarter? It's live right now. I understand it's got like four or five days to go. Yeah, Patrick, I'll take over for this. Uh, I played Saul Last Days of a Star quite some years ago, and it was a fantastic little 
co-op slash semi-co-op game about getting energy from the sun or your, you know, whatever solar energy you want to talk about before it dies. You have motherships that go around the sun and you're sending out sun divers to go and get and collect energy from the sun so that you have enough momentum built with this energy to shoot off into finding like another distant planet or another distant energy source before it dies. And I really, really enjoy the intricacies of this game because like depending if you have a building built, other players can use that building and you get a benefit from it because it's your building. I always like that in a game. Yeah. Yeah, so you're building up buildings to create more sun divers, and then after that, depending on the formation, you can build uh, gates to get further down and closer to the sun, because the closer you are to the sun, the more energy you can produce with it. All the while, your mothership is orbiting around the sun in a in a circular way, and you have to send out your sun divers from that. You're being sent out to different sections of the board by force, because if you stay too if you stay in a spot too long, you you know, yeah, the the sun is going to do a lot of damage to you. So you have to constantly be moving around. <laughs> this was a game from 2016, and it seems like they decided to do a Kickstarter to bring back the game. It doesn't look like many of the components changed, but it does okay. look like that the size of the box changed. And they also added an insert designed by Matt Healy. It looks really good. The insert looks really nice. Now, you owned this one before. You know that I had my eye on it. I take you'd recommend it. Like, should I be back in this thing? I do recommend it. Uh, it is a minimum of three players, and okay, I, I, I still would suggest. That. I still, even though it says a minimum of three players, I do suggest it at like four or five. Uh, I would say at five, it's probably best. I'm looking at it, and yeah, I had to click remind me. Oh boy, you know, by the time this goes live, Scott, you got like four days to make up your mind. That's right. I know. If you back it, let me know because that means I don't have to back it, and I'll still get the chance to play it. Ah. Okay, okay. Dude, who are we kidding? Nikki's going to back this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, for next year's Pittsburgh RetroCon, first of all, well, one of the struggles that we had was what do we put on display? What What's going to, what's going to like connect with retro video gamers? Boy, we got another one. This one's coming to GameFound. And I thought, man, if we can get some of these prior to, to October, I'm sure it's going to take longer to fulfill, but Street Fighter. Street is coming to game. Yes. Street Fighter. I don't know if it's Street Fighter V or Street Fighter five. Uh, it could be a Roman numeral five or it could I'm going to go with five. Street Fighter V. Okay. Fine. I was going with V. Street Fighter five champion edition legends. That's a mouthful. And it's a cooperative game of brawling action for one to four players designed by Mitch Schroeder. So from BGG. In each game, you take on the role of your favorite Street Fighter characters and work together to defeat your rivals and overcome your nemesis. Build your combos, upgrade your abilities, and create your legend. The four kings are up to no good, and it falls upon the world warriors to stop them. Choose a fan-favorite fighter, such as Ryu or Chun-Li. Players will perform powerful attacks and build epic combos on their way to defeating the king at the end of each stage. Combining modular-style decks and familiar special moves unique to each fighter... There's no shortage of options for toppling the kings one by one. And this thing's apparently got a big old roster of, of characters and stages from Street Fighter V Champion Edition. Okay, so I guess that, that answers the question. It is from Street Fighter V. It's based on that specific version okay. of the game, I take it. Is there Vega in there? Vega, I used to always play as mm. it was, the it one was with my the favorite Wolverine character. Claws, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I have I have no idea. Uh, but I was that, always in the blank. That gives me a reason to check it out. 
Scott, you're a Blanca. Yes, yes. I like the creepy green guy. And he could, uh, he could like light up with lightning and say, you know, we always called him Blanca. And then you always had that one friend, you go to their house and they're like, I'm going to select Blanca. It's not Blanca. He listens to the Blanca. yacht rock in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, designer on this one that Mitch Schroeder credited with very little, namely a couple expansions for Street Masters. But the expansions, turns out they have really bad reviews, not because of the gameplay, but it looks like Blacklist Games, who put out Street Masters, had some issues fulfilling these expansions in some way. Uh, that said, Street Fighter, this is going to be uh, not Blacklist Games. It's going to be from Colossal. So keep your eyes out for that mm. one. Scott, we're going to start this episode off with a special review. We got a treat from the folks at Chip Theory Games at PAX. I got surprised whenever you came back to the Airbnb and you had two bags of Bones coffee. It's rather humorous because I had just gotten a sample pack of five different Bones coffee at home. So I'm like, wait a minute. Where did you get this? And you told me. Yeah, it came from Chip Theory Games. They were telling us all about uh, some of the upcoming things they have going on, what with 20 Strong that uh, that they had recently up on GameFound. And, and you know what? I'm talking to Andrew, and he's like, oh, here, wait. Let me give you this. Let me give you this. He gave us a bag of Open Dark and mm-hmm. Liquid Life coffee. So I was like, well, I mean, you know, I'll buy it. Let me give you some. He's like, well, are you going to review the coffee? I was like, yeah, we'll review the coffee. He's like, you can have them. It's like, oh, well, thank you so much. So we had the chance yesterday, you and I, we sat down, we played some Terracotta Army. Uh, Jeremy was there too, but we're not going to talk about Jeremy. No. You and I, for all intents and purposes. <laughs> <laughs> and we had each of us our cup of too many bones. We started with the uh, with the Open Dark. The yes. Dark blend. Your assessment, King? Well, Open Dark was very delicious. I really enjoyed it because my go-to coffee is actually Death Wish Coffee. I absolutely love that. One of my fraternity brothers got me turned on to that, and I cannot stop drinking it. So this one here had high caffeine crap. Oh, super high, but it doesn't work on me. I don't know why. I just fall asleep as soon as I drink it. (laughs) This one here. I don't know what it was. It was very good to drink. I really enjoyed it. But whenever I got to the bottom and it got a little cold so I could drink it quicker, wow, mm-hmm. I started, like, feeling colors and hearing smells. It was interesting. <laughs> I liked it. It is definitely a rich, full body. I'm going to – see, we're not coffee reviewers. That's the problem. And you were talking about your go-to. Mine, I'm sorry, McDonald's coffee. I know. Bring on the hate. I love the McDonald's coffee. Tall cup, two cream, two sugar. I'll take that over. Starbucks or just about any coffee you can find. That and Dunkin' Donuts has a really good cup, too. Nevertheless, this is a a rich, full-bodied – I want to play the commercial for Tweaks Coffee from (laughs) South Park. Open Dark uh, gets the uh, the level up stamp of approval. And Liquid Life. Liquid Life was the other one that's uh, caramel and nutty. Was mm-hmm. the description on that one? What did you think of the liquid life? That sounds now, great. Some of the <laughs> other ones that I had were flavored coffees. I ordered five different flavored coffees, and mm-hmm. I found that a lot of them were really heavily flavored. It it kind of took mm-hmm. away from the flavor of the coffee. Yes, you could definitely smell it as soon as you handed it to me. It like came across, and then the aroma came and flooded past me. I mean, it got caught in the inertial passing of your hand, and then the steam just kept going, and I caught that caramel bouquet. It wasn't overpowering, which I liked. I liked the open dark a little bit better, but 
the liquid life coffee it didn't outstay its welcome with the caramel flavoring yeah it was it was light enough and it's definitely a lighter cup of coffee it's not yes. as, like open dark is like oh you're going if, if you want coffee you want a bold cup open dark's gonna hit you and that's what i like liquid life was much lighter on the on the coffee flavoring it was uh it was, it was pleasant it was a nice cup of coffee mm-hmm. oh most definitely i mean i would I would definitely look in getting more of the open dark. So if we're ranking the things that Chip Theory Games puts out, we're going to say like number one, too many bones. Number two, open dark coffee blend. Number three, cloud spider. Oh, no, we thought we built quite the relationship with them. Uh, thank you very much to Chip Theory Games for providing the coffee for us to try, and we'll be enjoying it as I am right now as we record. You know what those came with, though, Scott? What's that? We got a couple of packs. Apparently, whenever you buy one of their coffees, you get a pack. Think of it like a booster pack in Magic the Gathering. It's sealed at the top, and it says you get a random card and a random chip to put into your Too Many Bones game. Right? We have two of those sealed packs. They gave me one for each of the, each bag of coffee. Oh, wow. And I thought, well, what are we going to do? We're going to give them away. And we don't normally do giveaways on the show. So it's like, well, how do we do this? Look, we're trying to grow the Twitter. We're trying to get iTunes reviews. There's all kinds of ways that we could like, hey, do a thing to to enter the contest. Adventures, we're going to keep this one simple. Go on our Twitter. We have a post up that says, hey, share this post and you've entered the contest. You'll see it. It's got the picture of the two bags of coffee. It's got the picture of the two packs. That's all you got to do. Well, I don't want to uh, get on my computer and go on Twitter. Nah. Go to the info on your app that's playing this podcast right now. Go on there. You can see the link to our Twitter, our Facebook, our BGG Guild. Just click Twitter. Find that post. Share it. Boom. You're in the contest. We'd love to send you these couple packs. And the worst thing that will possibly happen out of this is we meet you at a con and we say, hey, you're a pretty cool person. (laughs) I know how you boys feel. Sometimes a hot cup of French roast amaretto is just what a man needs to get him through the day. That smooth aroma and mild taste is what makes Tweed Coffee so very special. Special, like an Arizona sunrise or a juniper wet with dew, a light rain in the middle of a dusty afternoon, or a hug from your dear old aunt. Dad! What? The metaphors, man! Oh, sorry. Here you go. Okay, guys, so let me tell you about something I recently played with my wife and a friend of ours, and she picked it up at PAX, in fact, because it just looked very, very interesting. And this game is a really, really fun game. I didn't think I would enjoy it so much, but it's called Catastrophe, a game of nine lives. Now, Did you just use a swear word? Sorry. No. No. <laughs> Sorry. Cat. A- oh, astrophy. I gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, emphasis on oh, the cat. I take oh, it. Oh. Yes, I get it. Yes, Nine cat. lives. Oh, oh my God. Oh, geez. <laughs> Scott is on the mend. <laughs> this game is a take that kind of game. Now, normally I'm not like a fan of games that like punish other people, but this one does it in such a fun way. So everybody has a cat. Like it's, I think they had Grumpy Cat. They had Punk Cat, which I, I played as. And they they also had a dog for some reason. I don't. I, I don't know. But anyway, you play as a cat, and you also get some yarn to start with, and a hand of cards. Now okay. these cards, these cards let you do certain things. Like for example, you. Oh, and by the way, there's a board in the middle where everyone starts at nine lives, and your goal is to try to be the last one to have a life. That's so, because uh, historically, cats would have nine lives. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
Okay, so everyone has their cat on nine lives, because that's what they start with. And at the very mm-hmm. bottom of the track, it's zero lives, and then there's also a figure for or a standee for what's known as the Grim Reaper. And that Grim Reaper is going up oh, and God. up this track. I hate this game already. <laughs> oh, it gets better. There's like an Indiana Jones cat. There's also like a, a Star Wars cat. It's great. But anyway, uh, you were playing these cards, and for example, uh, an idea of a card would be an attack that says choose a player. That player rolls their die. If they roll a four to a six, then they're good, but if not, they lose a life. Things like that. Uh, there's also cards that can uh, divert that to another player. There's cards that can just cancel that. There's cards that say cancel it and take that card from them so that you can use it on another turn. But you were continually doing this, trying to whittle down the opponent's lives until you either have like no more cards that you want to play or that you just can't play a card. So at the end of your turn, you draw three more cards so that you have a hand ready to go for the next round. Not but right. after that, a catastrophe happens. So a catastrophe is where the fun of this game is because it could be any kind of card. So there's one that I really like, which you flip it over and the person who flipped it over reads it and they say, okay, everyone takes a card from the top of the deck and puts it on the back of their hand. Now, your goal is to slap the other cards (laughs) off of their opponents while keeping yours on your hand for 10 seconds. And anybody who has their card on their hand after that 10 seconds gets some yarn or gains a life or something along those lines. Okay, and I, you just want, you won me back. Okay. <laughs> but there's many, many, many more different cards like that. And it's, uh, it's, it was just hilarious. Like at, at the very beginning when we were just playing the attack cards, we were like, all right, this, this game is, uh, it's fine. It's another take that game. But then like we did catastrophes over and over again. And just all of these were hilarious to do. It was just fun. That's all it was. It was just really fun. So that's Catastrophe, okay. a game so of I could, Lives. I could see playing this with the lobsters, right, and having a really good time with it. But we got uh, – by the time this airs, it is long since passed. But over the last month, there's all sorts of gamers thinking, okay, can I get this out with, like, my little nephews? You know, am I going to be able to play this with 10-year-olds? Would you say that this is something that's going to be appropriate in a family setting? Oh, without a doubt. This is just pure fun. It's fun when your when your kid attacks you and makes you lose a life. But in in essence, this game is just all about the fun little catastrophes that happen. It's it really pushes you on the edge of your seat. The things that you have to try to do. There's another one where you put the back of the box onto the table, and like you have it in an open position, and then you reach for it so that you're you are an arm's length away from it, and then you're trying to chuck your dice into it like a cat, like batting something off of. <laughs> <laughs> So that, that's another one as well. I, there, there's so many I could go over, but you know, we don't only have a certain amount of time in these in these podcast segments. All right, well, I'll keep it quick then, Ryan. I'm going to take uh, take the floor for a game called Rumble R U M M B B L E, and this comes from BBN Games. Let me tell you what: when I started working in a bank, go back like ten years, I started at a little bank inside of a grocery store, and we had nine hours that we were open, ten to seven, so days could get long. One of my coworkers there, she played uh, Words with Friends, which was, I guess, like a word feud on the app. It, it's Scrabble. With a randomized map, the triples and doubles are going to be wherever in any given game. 
fast forward 10 years, we still play. I haven't worked with her for half a decade, and yet we still, every day I play a word or two. You know, every now and then I get the notification on my phone, <laughs> and whenever a game ends, we invite for a rematch, and the cycle continues. At this point, I only see her once a year whenever she gets uh, some Girl Scout cookies from my daughter, but I'm very glad to still be playing Word Feud with Jackie. Nevertheless, BBN Games reached out to me, and they asked if we'd like to look at their game called Rumble, which is not yet out, but is in production. They sent us a copy, and I had the chance to play this with some family. Played it with uh, my brother, with Mike. Rumble is pretty cool if you're a Scrabble fan, and I'm a fan. Now, this is going to be adjacent to what you might think of as a hobby board game. You know, you're not you're not going to listen to the podcast usually and hear about word games, Scrabble type games. This is pretty close to it. So in a game of Rumble, you're going to get a whole bunch of tiles on a very long tile holder. Think Scrabble tile holder, but very long because it's got to house a whole bunch of tiles because what you're trying to do is make four words. Be the first person to make four words. You need a six-letter word, a five-letter word, a four-letter word, and a three-letter word. Uh, and that's pretty simple. I mean, simple in practice. Like, oh, I can get to my three. I can make a four-letter word. No big deal. But then it gets really tricky to make that six-letter word. So how do we play the game? You're go around the table and on your turn you can either like boom i made my four words or there's one face down tile in the middle you can take it or you can pull i'm sorry face up in the middle you can take it or you can take random out of the bag whenever you take random out of the bag you've got to get rid of one of the letters that's on your tray you took your turn next person takes their turn next person takes their turn that is literally it you're swapping out one letter at a time trying to make four words and yet I really like this. There's actually a lot of fun doing this with with friends and also with family. Something that I can play with my mom or I can play it with my sister because she loves words. She loves reading. She can get behind this game, right? I'm not going to be able to sit down and have her play a game of brass with me. But this, absolutely. I'd love to see and that. Yet if, I'm, <laughs> yeah, if I'm playing with my gamer friends, I can be like, hey, guys, we got uh, uh, Mike's running 15 minutes late. Let me show you this one. And it's an easy one to break out. Everyone knows how to play. You're just making words. We had a lot of fun with it. I wanted to bring that one up, and it's one that we'll probably revisit if they uh, if they get this thing into production or if they opt to go to uh, crowdfunding of some sort. But uh, our preview look was a success. That's a game called Rumble. R U M M B B L E. Let's get ready to Rumble. Hey King, you remember we talked about Factory Forty Two? Yeah, you you seem to really like that one. Heck yeah, I did. And we even got a level up promo card in their Kickstarter last year. <laughs> I, I remember uh, a bit of level up for the show getting that promo from Dragon Dawn. And you know they did Grey Eminence. And Michelle as well. Uh, we've done a bit for them, actually. Well, now they're going to do a bit for our listeners. Did you manage to get another promo code? Oh, you bet, King. 10% off this one is using promo code Level Up on their website. Now, this is for anything on their site. Mm-hmm. White Hat, Grey Eminence, Factory 42, Beyond the Rift, everything. Even the giant Dungeon Crawler Perdition's Mouth Abyssal Rift. Everything is 10% off with promo code L-E-V-E-L-U-P. So, if I'm seeking a new adventure, where does I journey to use this mythical promo code spell? Two easy ways to do it. You can click on the logo for Dragon Dawn on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com or get on over to ddpgames.com and click shop. I, I Easily, I got to tell you, one of my favorite things we're able to do with this show is find some ways to help adventurers save some money and score some loot. So get on with it, adventurers. ddpgames.com, click shop, 
promo code L-E-V-E-L-U-P. Level up. Scott, uh, I got an idea for you, so I'm going to I'm gonna put you off to the end. Is that okay? Uh, sure, 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 sure. I understand. Ryan, we have company. <laughs> I guess that's my cue to talk about my next game, then. What you got for us, Ryan? Well, you, do you guys know what the T-series of games is? Yeah, that's the uh, the board and dice games. Uh, it's the Wanton Sue You and uh, Tolkien and all those games that you can't pronounce. Yeah, those are those are the games done by either Daniela Tashini or David Turkse. And yes, they are mostly usually from board and dice, and usually have something to do with dice as well. You can't just brush past it. It's David Turchy. David Turchy. Yeah, we're in Pittsburgh. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well. I'm a big fan of his games, and uh, I played one of his most recent ones, and that was called Tila Tomb. No, it is not Tile Tum. It is Tila Tomb. <laughs> this game just hits all the bells that I like in one of those kind of games. So it's a it's a dice placement. Sorry, um, it's not a dice placement game. It's a dice action selection kind of game. So you roll dice, and whatever number it shows, you put around this rondelle. And Mm -hmm. depending on the number of the dice, that's how many resources you get. But then, like, take that number and subtract it from seven, and that's how many actions you take from that segment of the board. So, for example, if there was a architect action and there was it was set to the number four for any dice that's a number four goes there then that means that you're going to get four of whatever resource color the dice is so if it's Mm -hmm. like a white die then what you're going to get is you're going to get four like silk but then subtract seven from that that's three that's how many architect actions that you get in that turn so you are taking uh there's architect actions there's the merchant actions they go around this map board and they put things like pillars or merchant stalls on certain cities and then there's also the character action which you're going to be taking these character tiles that have special abilities on them and you're going to be putting them in houses on your board the entire idea of this game though is you want to combo as much as possible to get and get as much done. So when you take an action, you also, if you're the first one to take that kind of an action, you get a tile that you put on your board. And it could be something like get a resource of whatever choice you want. Mm-hmm. Or it could be like, hey, you get two actions from this kind of action that you want to do. You can combo off a lot of things. I had one where I comboed and did five things on one turn. Oh, man. And it was great. So I like took a die that gave me stone and then it gave me like three actions of something. But since I was the first one to do that action, I got a tile that said I could do three actions of something else. So I first did that one. I did the character tiles and I put them on my board. And when you put them on your board, they give you an action that they do when you put them in those houses. And so Mm -hmm. I did the house action. I did uh, whatever the extra bonus action it was. And then I continued and did my actual uh, full turn, which is the architect. So I moved the architect and I put a pillar down and you need pillars in order to build things in a town. And those are free actions. So I did the free action constructing a building and that gave me points and that gave me a, another slot that gave me another pillar. You can combo and combo and combo and it's point salad, point salad, point salad all over the place. You may think it's also very difficult to figure it out because of so many things could combo off of so many other things, but it was actually mm-hmm. very, very streamlined. It's not hard at all. Like the character action is either take a t- character tile or place it in a house. 
the architect action is move an architect and place a pillar. You know, just those are the things that you can do with these actions. And so they made it so simple and so streamlined. I would say now, I'm, I'm, you heard it from me first. This is my second favorite tea game from that entire series. And there's like, I want to say about like seven now. I was going to ask you to rank them when this was all done. You're already saying your second, so we got to know what's the first. Well, first is Teotihuacan. I like the idea that whenever you place your die, you subtract from seven, and that's the number of actions you get. It's, it's like a built-in way of mitigating that, like, okay, so I rolled ones. Well, I'm not getting many resources, but I get all kinds of actions, whereas, you know, rolling sixes doesn't inherently mean that you're better off because you just rolled well. That's, well, now you don't get as many actions. And I think that makes for an interesting way of balancing dice being sort of uh, having an input randomness into any given turn or round. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what it does, because without resources, you can't do some of the things that these actions require you to do. So mm-hmm. you really are looking for those combos or those ways to get the resources, but then that means you don't have much else that you can do as far as the actions are concerned. Um, the good thing is that it's also marked on the uh, the rotary board, the rondelle. It is actually mm-hmm. marked there. So it if it has like a number five die, then that's where all the five dice go. And on the side, it has like a parentheses, a two, to let you know that that's how many actions you get. Yeah, I was busy thinking like seven minus three. I'm like, whoa, wait, wait. I'm thinking backwards. I'm like three minus seven. You have to pay them for things whenever you mess up or you roll bad. But no, I I like how this works here. Like you said, the balancing mechanism, it's kind of like a catch-up mechanism, but not as like, here, we feel bad for you. Here, here's something to help you out. It just, it does Pity sound points. like it balances it out. It really does. Uh, if you haven't seen this one, I do suggest checking it out. Um, it's on, if I'm not mistaken, it's on Tabletop Simulator. If we ever get a chance, I do want to play this with you guys. It's I've played this now about four times with a bunch of different people, and every single person I played with has loved it. I love it so much that I would play it and teach it as many times as possible. I know. I saw it like every place at PAX. I mean, I kept on seeing the the boxes everywhere and never got a chance to really look at it, but I could tell from that that it definitely has a lot of following behind it already. That was a Tila Tomb. Do you think the networks, like if you look at Board and Dice's published games, the networks uh, is one of theirs. Do you think that counts as a T game? It does not. <laughs> oh, come on. It starts <laughs> the, the, with a T. There was an entire, oh, the. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, you could also put in the voyages of Marco Polo, if that was the case. Um, but it's weird. I actually looked this up not too long ago, but there's like a general consensus of it needs to match three of five different criteria to be a T game. And okay, uh, <laughs> a name that you can't pronounce. We know uh, that's got to be one of them. Something that starts with a T, something by Borden Dice, something by either Turkse or D- uh, Tashini. I forgot the other two, but it's, it's something along those lines, yeah. <laughs> well, let's take a break right here, and then when we come back, I'm going to tell you about another tea game. One of the most popular games in the hobby, and the oldest in the BGG Top 100, is Crokinole. And at Level Up, we're big fans. Oh, yeah. Most of our meetups have a Crokinole board set up and ready for action. Our choice for anything and everything Crokinole is Brown Castle Games. Brown Castle is a family-owned company that produces boards of unmatched quality. With a circular frame, a variety of hardware veneer playing surfaces, and a professional edge banding, let me tell you, these boards stand out. Oh, no doubt, Scott. And along with your board, Brown Castle has the best Crokinole accessories I have ever seen. The discs, the holders, the carrying case, they make the best. Yes, they do. Adventurers, you know our style. 
When we partner with someone, it's to get savings for you. Exclusively mm -hmm. for adventurers, get 5% off anything and everything from Brown Castle Games. The boards, cases, accessories, you name it. Get 5% off with promo code LEVEL5. L-E-V-E-L, -E -E the number 5, all caps, no spaces. Find it all at www.browncastlegames.com. All right, fellas, one more tea game before we go off to solo land for Scott's recent play. I've been playing, and as you know, King, I'm sure, Ryan, I've told you as well, I am obsessed with Through the Ages, a new story of civilization. One of my favorite games. It's right up there with another famous tea game, Twilight Imperium. If I had to say which one's my favorite, uh, favorite game, it's Twilight Imperium, but favorite Euro, man. Through the Ages might just be it. I want to bring it up today because, you know, I've talked about it before, but something occurred to me when I was playing it online with you, Ryan. We were playing on BGA, a, a game of Through the Ages, and it's a phenomenal game. Let's start with the base game. Uh, in the game, it's all card-based. You are building a civilization. You start off with very basic resource production cards. Uh, you have a simple agriculture. You have, uh, what is it? Not, yeah, it's a religion, I think, is for your science. You alchemy you know there's very basic ways of producing science and resources and food to increase your population and the, the hook what i love in this game is that river of cards at the top you've got um 13 boy i can't do math today you've got 13 cards in this river at the top the five on the far left are the cheapest to acquire and they cost actions and then the four in the middle cost two actions to take one of those cards. And then the ones on the far right, they're awfully expensive at three actions. Just to give you an idea, at the start of the game, you have four actions per turn. And as play continues and you up your government or you settle various lands or develop civics, you're going to have more actions to spend. So you are able to dip into those expensive cards as the game continues. But at the end of any given round, that row is going to shift. Some cards on the far left are going to burn off, and new cards are going to be flipped from the deck, and eventually you'll run out of the age one, and then the age two deck, until eventually the entire deck's depleted, at which point the game ends. So through the ages, you and I are playing this one, and uh, I know you had expressed some interest in learning some more of Czech Games Edition's games. So through the yeah, ages... Thank you very much for the teach, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Someday I will live up to your... Awesome teaching skills, sir. You just dis you destroyed me. So obviously you knew the game. <laughs> um, well, I know the game. I but see, uh, d in destroying you, it tells me that I didn't teach you well enough. Uh, so. One thing that happened in our game was I was able to get William Shakespeare. So for those of you that are familiar with the game, there are leaders that you can acquire and they eventually will, will say that they'll pass on. So if you get Socrates in age one, he's going to do a lot of good things for you in age one. But as you move on through, through the ages, see what, it, what we did there. Eventually that leader is going to have to be removed from play. He's no longer influencing your civilization. Ideally, you want to replace him before he moves on. There are a couple of leaders that stand out in this game. Uh, early on, Hammurabi is ridiculously good. You get an extra action. But as play continues, there's a couple that can really shape how you're playing. Namely, Napoleon. Napoleon's going to make your military just go berserk. And if you intend to win with military, Napoleon is kind of like the target card. You want to get that one. And the other one that sticks out to me is William Shakespeare. It gives you bonus points for every library 
and theater combo that you have. So if you've, you've built a printing press, there's your library card and you have the opera. Well, normally that's going to give you three points. Shakespeare says, get two more because you have a pair. And then next turn you build one more of each. Well, now you're up to six points plus four more because of Shakespeare. He just, he lets you soak in those points. I managed to get him in our play. Uh, I reached and I grabbed him out, out of the middle of that river at the top. And I think that was the big differentiator for us. We, you know, it was, it was a pretty tight game up until the very end. And I think Shakespeare might have been one of the big differentiators. I think so too, because I was going the more militaristic route. And so I mm-hmm. was getting anyone that had to do with the military, but you didn't want to fight me. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, now you could have initiated fights, but I, I think at this point I've played enough to have an idea of when it's coming and there are ways to prepare. So one of the, I don't want to say flaws, but one of the strikes that people give against uh, civilization games in general and specifically through the ages is, oh, you just go military and you win. And I can't, I can't express enough that that is not true. That's just not true. Yeah. Uh, even I think- if you don't go military, you can prep for it and plan defensively. Like, okay, if he starts to go nutter butters, what's my plan? And you're fine. You know, even if somebody wins a war against you and they, they shark 10 points, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, I think in our game, uh, because I was going military, I wasn't really focused on getting an income of culture points, which are the victory points in the game. You had like an income of every – at the end of every one of your turns, you would get somewhere around – you know, 40 points somewhere in there. And I, I would only get around 11. So I think like, even though I was defeating you mostly with military, you were just getting so many points around. I just could not catch up. Well, and enter the leaders and wonders expansion, which I wanted to bring up today for your sake, Ryan. I, I had mentioned this when we played and, and I think it's really important. The leaders and wonders expansion, it adds a bunch of cards amongst them, namely new leaders and new wonders. So every game, you're going to see every card in Through the Ages. When you incorporate the expansion, though, you're not going to see all of the leaders and all of the wonders. There are some wonders that you can depend on and say, you know, at the at the end of the Third Age, I'm going to find either the internet or Hollywood or both. And that's going to give me a 60-point swing. And the other person's got to play against that. Oh, if I see it, I got to snag it, even if I can't build it so that he can't, right? That's just baked into the strategy of the base game. When you incorporate the expansion, suddenly you can get that early printing press. You can get that early drama or upgrade it to an opera right away, but you can't count on seeing William Shakespeare. There are others, like you can get Bach, who for whatever reason they decided was a a world leader. You can get other things that are beneficial for your strategy, but none that drive it home the same way that Shakespeare did. You can go military. And there's plenty of leaders that benefit off military, but none quite like Napoleon. And you can't count on him. So if you're in that first and second age going heavy military and you're thinking, oh, I'll go over the top. I'll I'll shoot the moon when I get Napoleon. Well, now you can't count on it. And I think that makes for an interesting twist on the game. This is one that I'm interested in learning because I know you have gone on and on and on about it for the longest time. And I did play it one time on BGA with a friend of mine, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a 45-minute video you can watch. We'll teach you how to wa- how to play. And I'm like, oh, God, a 45-minute. So I just played against him and just clicked buttons. I have no idea what the hell I was doing. Sometimes uh, so- you can learn a game doing that. Yeah, but one. I would like to definitely sit down and play that sometime, though. You know what? It's on BGA, but for those interested that don't know how to play, I've got to say the best board game app that I own, hands Mm. down, is Through the Ages. 
and the best tutorial in any game I've ever seen. Video games at Nintendo included. The best tutorial is on that app. It takes a very, very complicated system, and it walks you right through it. Like, look, I'm a dum-dum. <laughs> I have trouble learning games. I have, a, I have a hard time sitting down with a rule book. Hey, 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 spoilers. Spoilers. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll save that for discussion. Point is, if that app could walk me through it and keep me entertained enough to actually put up with it and learn such a difficult game, then I think most people are going to be able to learn it just from the app. And, dude, it's like 10 bucks or less. You're getting a heck of a lot of game for that. Or for us at the Level Up Board Game Podcast, you can just go to Patrick. Just Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I I will say? A a terrible, terrible thing happened in Through the Ages Land. So I've been tracking my score. You remember, Scott, I talked about this like, what, two years ago? And I said, you can click on statistics and you can see your overall number of culture points that you've accumulated playing on this app. And at the time, now mind you, you finish a game with 400 points, you had a very good game. At the time, I was over a quarter million points accumulated on that app from from the games I played. I just hit half a million points, and then a terrible thing <laughs> happened. I went just the other day. I went to check my stats. It said web page cannot be found. I don't know if it's down or if they don't support it anymore. I know, I know. You have to check it right now. That was like that was on my street cred. That's how I would pick up chicks. <laughs> <laughs> Solo Land Music. Scott, you're going to be up here in a minute. All right. Huh. We haven't heard that for a while, have we? Mm, I have an unfamiliar jingle. Yeah, I don't don't remember ever hearing that before. (laughs) Well, anyway. (laughs) Got to go back a year to hear that. Well, Ryan, that is our special music for Adventures in Solo Land. Yes, I got a chance to uh, play a game by myself. Hey, surprise, I'm on the road. I don't have people that really like to play games, so I look for solo games. So I had picked up one, uh, well, actually, I printed out one a couple years ago. It was Under Falling Skies. So I printed Uh out the nine cards you needed for it, had the little dice, played around with it a little bit. "Ah, This is a pretty solid game here. This is really cool. Then I saw Check Games Edition. Went in, bought it, and said, hey, let's really make one here. So they did, and boy, oh boy, did they ever. So from BGG, it says, your actions are powered by an innovative dice placement mechanic. When you choose an action, you're also choosing which enemy ships will descend. Yes, a la Space Invaders. Bigger numbers give better effects, but also they cause ships to descend faster. Expand your underground base to gain access to more powerful actions, allowing you to shoot down enemy ships or deploy robots to increase your workforce. But don't forget to work on your research and watch your energy supply. Oh, God. But anyway, you also have a huge mothership coming down upon you that is going to pretty much probe you in ways you really don't want to be done. <laughs> but in Under Falling Skies, it is a fun puzzle to play here. You have five dice you roll. There are three gray and there are two white. So you roll the dice and then you have your underground bunker that you're busy with your scientists trying to create a formula to destroy the aliens that are coming down. You have anti-aircraft guns that are shooting different alien ships out of the sky. 
You have fighters that going up there and shooting alien ships out of the sky. So you have all these things going on. But if you don't manage this correctly, the mothership's going to come down a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. And it comes down a little bit closer. And it'll keep on doing that until either you win or you lose. The thing that is so great with this game that I really, really enjoy is the board is made up of four different squares on the top that are the sky from where the mothership comes in and comes down to you. You have a little thing saying, a a little board saying if you're in Roswell, New York City, Washington, D.C., and then you have two boards underneath there that's your underground bunker. So you're playing kind of a landscape on a long side, or I, I guess that would be portrait then, wouldn't it? But you're playing that, and as it comes down, you can flip those sides over if you wanted to make it harder. So okay. you could do three of the boards easy, one hard. You could do all four of them hard. I mean, there's all sorts of options you can do with that. But the thing that made this copy so great, and the reason I really suggest people, if you like solo games, to check this one out, there's a whole campaign in here I haven't even opened up yet. Oh, yeah? There are, there's a huge chunk, probably about an inch and a half thick of extra boards, extra information about this whole campaign you can play. Now, then, I want to get more familiar with the base game itself before I break mm-hmm. into that. But really, it it gives you a really great experience with, like, if you like puzzles and trying to figure out what is your best outcome for playing a dice here or a die here? Do you want to expand your underground bunker a little bit more? Or do you want to go for science and, and help those scientists out to figure out how to destroy the, the aliens that are coming down? There's a lot of give and take in this, trying to figure out what is going to be your best move. Granted, every time I've done it, um, I haven't made the best move. Oh, um, so well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've been probed a lot by that uh, mothership here. <laughs> um, it's a great theme to it. It's a lot of fun. Definitely, if you like games playing on your own, if you don't have many people around, you just want to have something like on a cold winter day, sipping your coffee, sitting in your game room or whatever, playing a game, great one to check out there. I definitely recommend Under Falling Skies. Let me ask you this, Scott. Do you remember Warp's Edge? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. You played that one. Now, it's been a Mm -hmm. while. It's been almost two years since we had that one at the table. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. How does it stack up against Warp's Edge? Is there room for both in the collection? What are your thoughts? Uh, Put them against each other. I actually think that this is better than Warp's Edge. Okay. It just hit the right notes for me more than Warp's Edge did. Warp's Edge was fun. I liked the whole thing that uh, Renegade Games was doing with their solo game series. The other one was uh, Proving Grounds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the female warrior being attacked with all the... She was, like, uh, shamed, and she had to uphold her honor. And then Warp's Edge was another one of those solo games that they had there. But you were doing a lot more with pulling out chips out of the bag, I yeah, believe. Yeah, a lot of bag building that one was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... I don't know. I really like this one more. I think there's much more story involved in this one than the other one is. Have you won it yet? Patrick, I said I've been probed many, many times. (laughs) So, no, I have not won it. And I'm not a fan of being probed. Speaking of probing King Scott... 
I, and I thought we had slow land music and we weren't going to hear the trumpeter. <laughs> no, you know it's coming. I need to get that man's name. All right, oh, man. I, I, I love this. This is my first time actually seeing his reaction to that. It's <laughs> oh. glorious. <laughs> Prime Movers in the Top 100 Great Western Trail 2nd Edition is up three spots to 57. Cthulhu Death <laughs> May Die is at 89. Falling Stars. How about this? Quacks of Quedlinburg is down two to number 48. Debuts in the Top 100. Well, kind of. Tigris and Euphrates is at number 100, mm. which is technically re-entering the top one. I've been watching this, and it just keeps teetering between like 99 and 100. It's dancing on the edge. New highest peaks. These games are higher than they've ever been. Entering the top 25. Eclipse, second on for the galaxy, is at number okay. 25. Cascadia, number 52. Great Western Trail, second edition, as we mentioned, up to 57. Kanban EV, up to 69. Ryan, have you done that one yet? I have done every Lacerda, and oh, yes, for it's great. out loud. Grand Austria Hotels up to number 74, Sleeping God 77, and as we mentioned, Cthulhu Death May Die is up to number 89. Knocking on the door, you're both going to love hearing this, is Obsession up to number 106. Yeah! (laughs) It's slow to get to maturity, but it is just about there. Excellent. I love it. And let's round it out with some birthdays. Pax Pamir, second edition, two years. Clans of Caledonia, five years. A Feast for Odin, six years. Mechs versus Minion, six years. And Blood Rage. Oh, blood takes, rage. Anytime I think blood rage, I'm going to think of uh, playing that with you, Ryan, uh, and playing with what Sam from BA Games That's right. Origins. We, <laughs> we all got to go. He got us a meal and everything. He's like, "What do you guys want to play?" Ryan's like, "Well, I have literally everything super deluxe for blood rage." And yeah, that's we couldn't say it like normal adults. <laughs> well, you, you never can. I mean, I I just start saying blood. <laughs> Blood rage! It just comes out of you. You can't hold it back. (laughs) Designed by Zemislav Pernal and Adam Kropinski, published in 2022 by Board and Dice, Terracotta Army is a game for one to four players who represent talented craftsmen and artists laboring to build the wondrous assembly of statues. During the game, you collect resources, upgrade your workers, and seek favor with the Emperor's advisors. Your goal is to play a crucial role in the process of creating the Terracotta Army. Now, as always, we're not going to give you every detail of play, and instead I'm going to try and give you a general sense of what happens in the game. To start, in the top left portion of the board, you're going to find a resource wheel with 12 action icons on the outer rim, 12 in the middle circle of the wheel, and 12 on the inner circle. On your turn, you'll place one of your meeples on one of the 12 outer edges of the wheel, and you'll take the inside, middle, and outside action associated with that spot. That's it. That's the central mechanism of the game and how actions are going to happen. Do note, though, that you can pay coins to rotate either the inner wheel one space or the middle portion one space, thus changing the actions that you're going to carry out when you place your meeple. The actions do a number of things. Among them, you can collect coins or clay, which are like the primary resources of the game. Coins can hire specialists, which can generate income, or even have a special effect on future turns when you activate one of their symbols. And coins come in handy for building specific statues and rotating the wheel. Clay, on the other hand, is required for building the statues in the tomb, which is the way to score points in Terracut Army. So we have a resource wheel in the top left of the board. The tomb is in the top right. 
Put simply, this is a grid onto which players are going to place statue minis as they construct them. Now, without getting into detail, there's four different statue types, each with an extra cost that can earn you some bonus points. Finally, there's an option on the action wheel to construct special statues, of which there are four. They each do something unique, and are pretty much all directly related to scoring. Now, as you can already tell, there is a lot of scoring at the end of the game based on where the statues were placed, so there's a lot of reason to put them in certain configurations. First of all, you've got inspectors. These are the overseers that make sure that the terracotta army is being built well, and they reward players for doing so. They're represented by two pawns, one on the x-axis of the tomb grid and one on the y. At the end of each round, players are going to score points for having figures in the row or column of an inspector. Simple. Also, each round has an end round scorecard. Like, for example, round one might say whoever has the most figures in the bottom white quadrant of the tomb is going to score a bunch of points. Play continues for five rounds, at which point endgame scoring is carried out and the highest scoring player has done the best job of constructing the Terracotta Army. Now, I'm not going to get into detail with the endgame scoring, but there is a lot to consider. Groupings of specific units, for example, are scored based on who had the most of that unit type. Special statues that might have been created are going to score points for ever after the most units in the eight spaces surrounding it. The point is, there is a lot to consider when you're placing your units from the start of the game all the way to the end. Now, as always, this was a quick, kind of undetailed level-up walkthrough meant to give you a gist of the game, a general sense of how it's going to play out when it hits your table. So how did we feel about it while it was on ours? Let's find out level-up style in the 8-bit breakdown of Terracotta Army. The year is 221 BC. In Mexico, the city of Teotihuacan is expanding, on track to become ancient America's greatest metropolis. In Egypt, the city of Alexandria boasts a 130-meter lighthouse, one of the tallest buildings in the world. And in China, a team of craftsmen begins one of mankind's most incredible creations. More than 2,000 years later, in 1974, farmers digging a well near the Chinese city of Xi'an discovered their work. Strange fragments of clay sculpted in human form. Chinese archaeologists dug test probes, which led to a staggering find. 8,000 clay warriors, infantry, archers, generals, cavalry, buried in three pits near the tomb of one of history's most powerful men. The brilliant soldier and ruthless conqueror called Cheng Shi Huangdi. Well, Patrick, thank you so very much for your walkthrough of Terracotta Army. So today we're going to take a look at that and break it up into our 8-bit breakdown. Breakdown, so we, breakdown. Yeah! Once again, <laughs> we're going to sell you the whole seat, but you only need the edge. <laughs> Continue. But we'll start off with bit number one, the art and components. I'm going to toss it off to you, Ryan. What did you think about the art and components? The board, I think, is well set up. If you see it for the first time, it may seem a bit busy. However, when you actually get down to it, it is really 
very, very cleverly put together. There's just the top right corner is where you're going to place the terracotta army. The bottom right side of the board is where you find the point scoring people. Uh, the bottom left is anything, any person that you've hired and you have benefits from them. And then the top left of the board is where the main focus is because that's where you're taking your actions from. And so when you put it all together, I think they brilliantly put the board together. And this is another game from Board and Dice. And so it is really nice to see that iconography is everywhere in case you need to know how to do something. It's clearly laid out. I think the components are very, very nice. The miniatures from the army itself, they all look the same and they come in like their own nice little storage box, which are, they start with upside down, but you can also like put them face up if you want to. Scott, I understand uh, those specific components. You had a little difficulty with a snafu. Yes, yes, I had two of the warriors, so I have two units of the spearmen, so I needed to get the archers. So they worked it out very quickly. I haven't gotten them yet, but they turned it around and got it out in the mail, so hopefully I'll be getting it very shortly. So until then, I have really um, well-decorated spearmen with black sharpie hair and a <laughs> upside down you and a line through it to show that it's an archer. Yep. <laughs> I would call that an, a component upgrade. There you go. It's customized. <laughs> customized. Yeah, Let's talk word. about that box, right? So this game comes with what? You have four different statues that you can build. Plus you've got four different point scoring statues. Four of each of those. That's 16. And I think the other ones come with, there's 10 or a dozen. Um, Whatever the number is, there's, there's over dozen. 60 miniatures in this game. That yep. is a lot of minis. Now, they're not like Rising Sun quality, but they're not bad either. You're not going to look at it and be like, oh, that sucks. We said we had a couple of bent spears on the spearman. Mm. Okay. You know, I can let it fly for something like this. You look at the horse, like the base, it's not like it doesn't feel chunky, but there's 60 of them in there. You know what I mean? They tried to mm -hmm. give you a, a standard box size. Uh, and the solution that they have for storing them, all those guys that you can build the box, right? And you'd mentioned that was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You just, you put them all in there upside down when you're ready to play. You know what we did? We just flipped the first one face up and that's how you can tell iconography for what they do and how you can score points on them is on the side of the box. They made this game so intuitive and easy to play considering the number of symbols. I thought they did a great job with their iconography. I was surprised whenever I picked up the game, the number of miniatures that were in it. Having all of them there that you're trying to build, I'm thinking, what are they going to do with just having them all laying on the side? That's going to be kind of eh, messy looking whenever people yeah, walk by and they're like, what are you playing? But yeah, having that extra little holder for those really upped my expectations of what I got, what, what I was going to get out of this game. So I was really surprised with that. The iconography, I had a little problem because going through the rule book, they just hit you with, this is a picture of this. This is a picture of this. This is a picture of this. But I will go more into that a little bit later in one of the older bits. Guys, before we move on to the next one, Scott, I'm going to throw out one more thing. Let's make it clear. In spite of all the minis, this is not a deluxe game. Like, there are a lot of areas that if you were expecting deluxe, like if you wanted to upgrade a game, and you look at pieces and you go, ah, eh, that could be better. This has them in several areas. The, the clay, the wet clay, or as we were referring to it in our game, the moist clay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Oh. No, 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 oh. no. Don't remind me. 
you are the one that forced us to call it moist clay. Moist. Yeah. So anyway, the uh, the moist clay, it's just a tile. I'm sorry. The wet clay is just a tile. Uh, one side shows that it's wet and uh, the other. Th- <laughs> I'm going to call it moist. Every time I say wet, I just <laughs> get your mind back <laughs> in the game. It's just a little tile. One side is brown. One side is gray. No big deal there. The first, uh, the round marker is the tiniest sliver of wood that I've ever seen as a game component. The coins, the coins are just cardboard. Yeah, they have the little hole in the middle, which like, okay, it's more than just a cardboard coin. It's got a hole in the middle and they could be upgraded. There are areas where the game could be upgraded. I think a lot of it came down to how do we get this many miniatures and get this game into this box at this price. And I think that's why mm-hmm. some of the pieces are like, oh, well, this is just, this is just a tile, nothing special. The little things that whenever you hire a specialist, your little marker for it is a tiny piece of cardboard with it, with the symbol on for how much coin you have to pay. I thought, eh, that could have been something cooler. Let's go on to bit number two with theme and immersion. Let's go with you, Patrick. What do you think about it? Okay. I absolutely love the theme. Uh, but I don't get immersed in it in, at all, right? Uh, I love the theme that you're building the Terracotta Army for the passed away leader of this civilization or, or, or whatever, the daimyo, whoever this may have been. But you're not going to play this game and feel like, oh, I'm, I'm building the statues and, you know, I'm going to place this one over here. Yes, you're going to be placing them in the game, but you're doing it to score points. It's a mechanism forward game. It's an old school Euro, but it has some table presence, partly for looks, but more so because the statues in that tomb are primary scoring mechanisms within the game. Awesome theme. You're not going to get your mind lost in it. You're not going to get any story out of it. You're not going to be able to, like, when the game's over, you're not going to be like, oh, yeah, and the one time that I sent my guy to go get more clay to build the extra stat. No, there's no story to be told. It's a it's a game on the table. It's a mechanism game. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, I, I agree as far as that's concerned. I mean, the theme of the whole idea that a Terracotta army is was, you know, built to protect the the leader in his afterlife is – is something they, they went with, but at the same time, you're not exactly doing that. Like, what they just literally put like clay statues in this tomb. However, in this one, you're like, Oh, how do I put a horse here and put a guy on it? And then like also force this guy to move towards an archer. You know, you're not playing chess with the pieces of an actual like terracotta army, like real life statue of clay statue or anything like that. You're, you're doing that in this game, which makes absolutely no sense as far as like the origins of it. I'm no history buff or expert or anything like that. I literally just looked it up while you were talking, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, Very good. but that's just one thing that you don't capture in this game. You, I actually are putting these pieces on this board in specific ways to score points. So like, uh, as far as the theme is concerned, n- the theme is there, the immersion, not nearly in there, like hardly at all. Yeah, I I agree with that as well, because the theme I liked, I liked the mystery of whenever they went into the tombs and they found this terracotta army, and I was like, whoa. So it was just really a neat theme to build something on. And this is something that that you wouldn't have been able to do without miniatures. The thing that got me, though, the terracotta army was actually lines and lines of the same warriors, same warriors, same warriors. And then there'd be the horses. Then there'd be so on and so forth. Whenever you have the whole puzzle part up in the top, trying to figure out the best way to get points, that's when it kind of lost me a little bit. It's a great theme. I like the idea of it, but yeah, I'm 
just wasn't there. But uh, I'm not going to say that that's something that's going to knock my enjoyment out of it. Bit number three was complexity. Now, I want to get this one out of the way. Take it away, Scott. So I went to bed the one night trying to learn this game, and I was angry. I was not putting all the pieces together how it was supposed to go. Once I learned how the game would go from the Rondell to this, to this, to this, it all came clear to me. So it was just a problem of getting my head wrapped around the rule set. It's not really a complex game. The biggest complexity that comes out of it is the spatial relations with the tomb area. Everything else is really quite simple. You're taking a look at what moves are going to be coming up, adjusting the rondelle to give you the most opportune moves at the time. So it's not really a complex game. But if you're going into it completely cold, you got to put the time into the rule book and read through it and really make it clear in your head for it to really shine. Fair point. So who wants to go next? I suppose I'll take a shot at this one. So All right. for complexity, um, I did tend to grasp it. But at the same time, I, there was a lot of times where I had to sit there and say, okay, what does the game want me to do here? Like I would try to figure out what the next best move was and I realized I couldn't or it would be a bad idea. So like – I think the complexity of the game isn't necessarily in how to play the game. It is definitely in how to create a strategy out of what you have, especially mm. when, especially when people are taking spots that you want. And even if you pay the two coins to change the rondelle, you still don't have much to go off. There's a lot of AP when it comes to trying to figure out what to select on the yes. wheel, because not only do you have to figure out what to select on the wheel, you have to figure out, okay, these actions are going to happen in this order. How do I use that to the best of my ability? The complex part, I think, comes from the figuring out what to do, uh, not necessarily uh, what there is to do. Uh, I, I think I think most of the actions are quite simple, such as make an army person. Uh, sorry, make a mm-hmm. make one of the statues. When you get used to it, because you do that a lot in this game, it's pretty simple to yeah. figure out what to do. But just the complexity comes in, like, what do I want to do? And like that is just that that sometimes hurts your brain. There's a lot of AP there, but I think that's one of the most complex parts of the game. Oh, and also the groups part of the final scoring, but we'll talk about Mm -hmm. that later. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? I didn't find this super complex. It's overwhelming at first because of the amount of symbols on the board, but technically there's like two resources, the clay and the coins. Once you grasp that half a dozen of the symbols are the specialists. Yeah, you gotta know what they do, but once you learn them, I didn't find that the actual understanding of the game was the hard part. Like Ryan said, I think a lot of it is in the execution of playing optimally. BGG has this at a 3.26. Uh, as we are recording. And I think that might be a little on the high end because the barrier of entry for me, complexity is always going to come down to the barrier of entry. How much time and energy do I have to invest in learning how to play this game and function within the game? And it doesn't take long to figure out what you're doing or how you're doing it. It takes long to figure out how to do it well and optimally. So, Scott, you had mentioned something about the rulebook in uh, when you were talking about the complexity of it and having to, like, really go through it. So, like, I guess that brings us into the next section that we're going to talk about, right? That would be correct. Yes, the rulebook and the learning curve. Let me just jump off with this because, like I said, I was angry 
I was mad. Did you have um, did your blood <laughs> Oh, I I mean I laid in bed and I'm like just like I was angry at this game. It was a matter of looking through it and it just felt overwhelming at the time with the amount of icons that you had that were on the board and how things go from this to this to this. It didn't really give like a nice little flow through. There was one tiny little area up in the top with like on your turn, you need to do one, two, and three. That's it. They could streamline the rule book a little bit better. Now, I know, Ryan, you had taught Patrick how to play this. And I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it. But for me, it just seemed like the icons, there were so many of them. And just seeing like all of them clumped in together, there was nothing kind of showing you go with the rondelle. Then you go with the masters or you go with putting your warriors in the tomb. If there was something, there was something that I missed. I'm not going to say it's completely wrong on the rulebook side. Something I missed that made my interpretation of the rules at the time not the best at the time since I went to bed angry. Ryan, what do you think? I promise I'm not trying to gloat here, but like I've read many, many rulebooks and I've learned many, many games. So this one, mm-hmm. it, it, it did take me a little bit to fully grasp the rulebook. I suppose I'm going to go with you along with this as far as saying that the rulebook could have been better with where it puts certain things in the rulebook because mm-hmm. bef- it didn't even get into how to play the game until page 11. Nope. And that's pretty far. I'm, I'm looking at it right now and because they wanted to say, hey, this is what wet and dry clay is. Hey, this is what domination and presence is. Hey, this is where, uh, this is the, how you get victory points. Hey, this is what a warrior does. But they did those before doing anything as far as how to play the game. It would have been good if they organized the rulebook in a better way. What they had to say, like when you actually got to it, when you needed to learn how to build an army, I think the rulebook did a really good step-by-step job on how Mm -hmm. to build an army piece or a miniature. However, how you get points from that was before it and also way after it. And it's like... I don't think they set it up in such a way where you could find out, why am I doing this? I think they set it up in a way of saying, this is this action, this is what the action does. Good luck figuring out why you want to do that action, or good luck trying to determine why you want to to place it there for points. I I feel like they could have organized the rulebook so that they all put together anything that had to do with the warrior. When you do this symbol, you build a warrior, and you build it this way, and you want to place it on the board, and this is what it does on the board, and at the end of the game, you're going to get points because they're in groups. I didn't know anything about the groups until near the end of the game. (laughs) Sorry, near the end of the rulebooks when they finally talked about groups. So, like, I feel like if they put all of that together in kind of a, a sequential way, it also... It tells you how to do the action, but it also tells you why you're doing the action. And in mm, this rulebook yes. didn't do that. Finally, we got to skewer a rulebook. We've been waiting. <laughs> We've been waiting for one that we weren't like, this is a good rulebook. Guys, I'm going to segue that right into the learning curve because I learned from Ryan and then had a refresher from Scott. Dude, this game takes like a turn or two to figure out what you're doing. Like I had deer in the headlights going on when you were showing me, right? Well, you couldn't see because we were playing on uh, TTS, but I had deer in the headlights going on. And somewhere in like my second turn, I was like, okay, I got it. I'm good. I love it. And then we were playing with Jeremy yesterday and same Mm -hmm. thing. Now, Jeremy's not, not a hardcore board gamer, right? And deer in the headlights is like, oh no, we fed Jeremy to the wolves. What was I thinking? 
turn two. It was probably his second meeple that he placed. And he was like, okay, I got it. I'm good. I understand. I like it. <laughs> and, and we were good to go. I, I feel like yeah. once you've made one turn's worth of actions or two turns worth of actions, you understand. Let's be honest. The game's not that difficult. Place one of your meeples, carry out the three actions that are on the wheel. That's it. On to the next guy. You gotta kinda understand why you're placing your warrior or your archer, uh, where you're orienting them. Uh, oh, don't forget, you can pay that spear. You can flip that upside down in order to get a bonus. Well, how do I get that? Oh, it's this symbol mm-hmm. on the wheel. Oh, yeah, you did go over that. And, and you're off and running. Now then, we come to the part that Patrick loves is the meat of the game. Love it. So, Patrick, where's the meat of this game? Blood Rage. (laughs) Two places, I thought. The wheel and the tomb. That wheel, guys, that wheel's got 12 spaces, and each of them have three actions. Okay, so that's a lot to digest when you're determining your placement and a lot to pre-plan for if you're trying to think a turn ahead. And get this, you can spend those coins and rotate either one or both of those inner portions of the wheel, altering the 12 action slots that you have to choose from. You got to be efficient in acquiring clay, building statues for as little as possible, hiring the right specialists at the right time. A lot of this game is going to be decided by who plays that wheel the best. So clearly that is a huge chunk of meat that your brain's going to have to take a bite out of, right? Then obviously you've got the spatial relations portion of constructing the statues. The earlier you build them, the more points they're going to score. Plus, when do you build those scoring statues? Because don't forget, they're not yours. They're going to score for everyone depending on what's around them. Do you build them early? Do you hold off until you can capitalize? This kind of makes the point that while the game isn't directly interactive, like you're never going to do a take that card on someone or send in a fleet of ships, right? There's still a ton of interaction based on taking away a placement spot on the wheel, or positioning in the tomb where someone else wanted to be, as well as kind of muscling your way into someone else's scoring units, uh, often ones that you didn't even have to pay to put on the board, getting in on those scoring units that you didn't build. Uh, tons of meat between the wheel and the tome. I agree with you on those. I think, though, that a lot of the meat was with the specialists that you put in the tomb. You put in your regular warriors and everything throughout there. Fine. That's no big problem there. But it's whenever you put in the horse that's going to end up counting for a larger area. You Mm -hmm. can put in the crossbowman that's going to take the tiebreaker for you. The the musician that goes all around there and you get points for all that. So there's a lot of things that go on with that and making sure that you put in in the right position to make it uh, fortuitous for you and not your opponent, but you're never going to get that time that it's going to be, yes, I made a good move. You're just going to be like, I made the move that was the most advantageous for me at that moment. Uh, Ryan, what did you think? Scott, I am 100% with you there. Uh, if I would have said so before you, I would have said almost the exact same thing, exact same kind oh. of wording. It's, I really feel like it's specifically the, the tomb part of the game. Um, not just with the common, uh, miniatures or the common army. That mm-hmm. is a big part of it. And I, I was definitely going to, uh, talk about that, but it's all about how to or when to place these figures and where and facing in which direction is also important because you want to try to, uh, take advantage 
advantage of the best possible or the most optimal play there. And there's a lot of things you have to think about. You have to think about where are your opponent's pieces? Are they able to move them? Because there's a piece that is able to move one of the, uh, a piece as far down or left or right as it can go. Mm-hmm. Figure out where to place the archers because they get as many yes. points as there are spaces between you and the next piece that they can see. But not only that, there you also have to think about where are the inspectors? The inspectors mm-hmm. go along the left and the bottom side of the board. You have to figure out how to get the most points from there with dominance or even some kind of presence so you can get some kind of points. So it's mm-hmm. like, how do I put this piece here so that I get some dominance in that? So I get the most points by facing it in a certain direction and also so that it's part of like the common miniatures. So I get some points from that near the end of the game or uh, sorry, after every round. And so there's like, you are trying to look around and pinpoint that exact spot and that exact uh, that exact army piece that you want. And you also have to check to see if you can actually build it because yeah. somebody might have taken that, that spot over and you right. might not be able to have that spot on the Rondell wheel. And so there's a lot to think about. I, I, I'll talk about it probably in downsides, but just uh, as an advance notice, AP is probably a big one that I'm going to talk about. But we'll get to that later. But yes, I totally agree with you on everything that you said, Scott. Well, our next bit is the replayability and variability. Patrick, why don't you jump in here on that one? Right back to me. Okay, honestly, there aren't a whole slew of variables. Yeah, the wheel's going to be changing, but it's always going to be offering some amount of the same ingredients and the same options. Those specialists, the six specialists, they don't change. I think the only real variable at play, aside from your opponent's decisions, of course, is the end-of-round scoring goals. Game plays over five rounds. You've got five cards at the bottom of the board that are going to uh, uh, give you some target to shoot for that round. Have the most miniatures in the bottom right quadrant or have the most minis in the middle row, for example. We played yesterday and it was have the most coins at the end of round five. That was our target. But I think this game's tremendously replayable. And I think it stems from the fact that there are so many options each turn that your game is never going to be the same. Let me give you an example here. The first player, when you start the game, they get to pick from any one of 12 spots. So that's 12 different openings right there. The next player picks from the remaining 11 So 12 times 11, that's like 120 different possible starts to this game, where the wheel is this game, with what you've got. And the third player gets to pick from 10. We're already over a 1,000 different openings in the first three placements. There's like 60 turns in a game, so it gets huge. Let me tell you guys a little side note. I saw a Facebook post this week saying something along the lines, like some somebody just threw out a quote. It said, having variants and modules for your game does not make it replayable. And that's all that they said. And then the comments started pouring in. And you know what I actually said? I I 100% agree. It's true. Step one when assessing if a game ranks high on replayability is whether or not I want to get back to it. And this one, I said it while we were playing yesterday. Man, I love this game. Yeah, the, the, mm-hmm. When I say that when I'm playing, it's like, oh, I'm liking playing now. I can see playing it again. To me, this game's highly replayable without having many variables. What do you think, Ryan? Well, this is actually one of those times where I'm probably going to have to disagree with you, Pat. All right, you get off the show. Okay, bye. <laughs> I'll do I'll do my own exit music. How about that? <laughs> All right, anyway, talk uh, to me, Goose. All right, so yes, you pick a spot. Uh, if you're the first player, you pick between 12 different spots. However, if you think about it too, the Rondell wheel, uh, a lot of the spots have the same action. Like mm-hmm. it's either like there's a spot that gives you three clay or there's a spot that gives you two clay and a coin or there's a spot that gives you two coins and there's a couple of those so 
as far as the actions that you can do, it's actually quite limited. You either, uh, the actions are either get this resource, get this resource, place a statue or place, uh, um, uh, activate a specialist. Activate a specialist. Yeah. And those are the four major actions. Well, but as far as the statues is concerned, there's uh, from the army and then there's also from the common army. Uh, so those are two different actions. But for the most mm-hmm. part, mm-hmm. it's in essence those five, I guess, uh, those five actions in the game. Oh, or fill your water up. Or, well, not fill your water up, but like. <laughs> oh, moisten the clay. Moisten the clay. Moisten the clay. Moisten. Moisten. Moist. You're just looking around the wheel for, you know, you probably don't have clay, so obviously you're going to pick a spot that has clay, because then you won't be able to do anything else. Or you want a character tile so you can get their ability, or flip over one of your special um, actions, like the spear token or the sword token. So, sure, But sure. you don't have money to be able to take a character action, so you're going to choose the one that has the most coins, because you, you need that much money to do it. So... Sadly, I, I feel like you have 12 choices, but you only really want to do one or two of them. And so you're kind of forced to do it that way. So, and so as far as replayability is concerned, I am putting it at a low score because I feel like I, I've played the game twice and I, I could have probably played it a, a, a couple more times, but I feel like I've pretty much gotten the game and played it as many times as I need to, to, to see as much of the game as I need to. Scott, you're the tiebreaker. <laughs> well, I got to bring it down here. Listen to you to go so eloquent on things. I just feel like saying, yeah, it was fun. But no, seriously, I agree with what both of you say there. Yes, there is a lot of replayability. I want to play this game a lot. This one kind of scratched that itch of something that I want to play a lot because you don't know what the people that you're playing against are going to do. You don't know how they're going to play their game. Are they going to be focused more on getting those masters at the bottom to give them those bonuses at the end of the turn? Are they going to go just mainly on trying to take over the tomb and work that to their advantage? There's different things that can happen depending on the people that you play with. But this is one that I'm looking forward to playing again in a few more times, quite a few more times, actually. Really looking at the whole game as a whole, the biggest variable really is the tomb. How are you going to exploit that to your benefit? Now, you had touched on this a little bit here, Ryan, so I will let you go first with this one. So our next bit is downsides. What were the downsides of this game, Ryan? Uh, yeah, so I had mentioned about uh, analysis paralysis, the bane of all board gamers' existence, where <laughs> you are sitting there looking at somebody stare at the board for over 15 minutes to make a turn. Mm-hmm. Um, that is definitely something in this game, because it depends. If you are one of those gamers that you know, really wants to win, like, I'm not gonna lie, I really want to win too, but that to me means that I, I, I know how to play it. And that makes me feel better knowing that I do well, not because I want to like demolish my opponents. It's it's it's, it's self gratifying to me to learn that, to know that I did well enough to know how to play the game to do really well as far as scoring is concerned. Yep. As far as AP is concerned in this game, uh, as I mentioned before, when you place an army unit, I'll just say unit. So it could be the common army or the the army that you get that uh, gives you points. The specialist, and, uh, yes. You really want to know who to place where to place them, how it helps you in the future, how it helps you for end of round scoring, if anybody can mess with it, if it helps for the end game, sorry, end of round scoring tiles, and also if you're grouping them together. So there's a lot of things to think about if you're trying to play optimally in this game. 
you have to put it all together also while making sure that you can actually do that action. And as I mentioned before, too, the, the replayability of it, like once you've played it a couple times, it starts to also be a slight downside, in my opinion. Other than that, I, I, it, it's a fantastic game for like a first couple plays. I can definitely see what you're saying. And I think that, well, no, actually, I'm not. Uh, that's going to lead into my next bit here. So I'm going to hold off on that one. But my biggest downside we talked about a little bit earlier was the rule book was uh, a little bit odd there. It wasn't really streamlined. If that had been a little bit better uh, put out there and make it more intuitive as to how to play this game, I think I would have gotten a lot more entertainment out of it after my first play. I was a little bit worried about yesterday when we were playing about Leap being left in the dust because I think we must have missed a couple turns there of giving me points or something because I was way behind everyone, like ridiculous way behind. I know I'm not the best player. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not the best player. But as it came up getting closer to the end, I had a couple moves like boom, boom, and I really kind of got back in the race again trying to go over the the rules and explain the rules and play the game and not being sure of it there was just a lot of things going on in my mind oh, at the excuses. time playing that so excuses. i don't oh well, hey <laughs> i'm an actor I, i'm good at excuses mm-hmm. but yeah so that's the biggest thing there so the rule book was the one that really stood out for me yeah, what do I you totally, say, Patrick? I totally forgot that I mentioned that. Uh, I also have one more thing, but I'm going to let Patrick uh, uh, go ahead and say his. Maybe oh, it's, sure. maybe it's the same. Maybe it's the same. No, I'll be quick because you're right. Uh, AP can be a thing in this game, not just uh, on that board, but also that when you're trying to figure out what to do on the wheel, you can spend two coins to move the, the innermost wheel or two coins to move the middle wheel or four coins to do both. And it's like, okay, so now you're taking all those options and you're you're adding on top of it. So that can be a thing. I'll also say, like, as far as variables go, it would be kind of neat if the specialists were instead like cards that you could flip over and it does something different, just something to spice it. Give me an event deck, you know, at the beginning of each round, flip it up and Hey, this round, if you would gain clay, you gain an extra something that just make every game or every round slightly different beyond just those uh, end of round scoring. What were you going to add, Ryan? I was going to add that whenever there's end of round scoring, end of round scoring takes a long time. Each oh, round mm-hmm. and a round takes a lot of time, especially, yeah, especially depending on how many common miniatures that you have out there. And also like the end of the game scoring. I think I mentioned this before too, the grouping scoring. There's a lot, a lot of steps that, that took the longest time for me to figure out how to score that. But like as far as a grouping concerned at the end of the game, I think you mentioned it in your, the how to play over, uh, overview, mm-hmm. but like you find these groups of people that are the same. You remove everything else. And then you score the majority of dominance, and then you score, uh, <laughs> and then you score for presence as far as that's concerned. It can be laborious. Yeah. There's there, a lot of time and energy just tallying just to, up end game points. Exactly. Mm. Not just end game points, but like end of round scoring everything. It's just a lot of time to just do points. And you can only really do it with one person because then everyone else is, uh, <laughs> would interrupt the, uh, <laughs> the flow of mm-hmm. like, I already chose this one. I already did this one. So you're sitting there mm-hmm. drinking your coffee from, uh, you know, too many bones, uh, while somebody is scoring the game. And that's, you're going to finish like two or three cups of coffee just for scoring itself. <laughs> <laughs> Make it really easy to put it away. <laughs> now, going back to our bits here, we come up to our final one and that is, was it fun? And who's it for? Patrick. I really like this one. 
Uh, I think I was two turns in with Ryan that I was like, oh, yeah, this is good. I'm playing this more. Two turns in with Jeremy. I already told you. He said the same thing. I think this game's a lot of fun. Uh, I think it's been a little bit overshadowed in, you know, like when it was released by some of the mega titles over the last few months. When you think about it, guys, 2022 has been a very good year for board games. I mean, Agreed. I, just when this came out, we had Endless Winter, Dog mm-hmm. Park, Wonderlands War, a ton, a ton of phenomenal games. I wouldn't be surprised if in the long term, Terracotta Army does a little bit of a slow climb and, and it has some staying power, maybe surpasses some of the games that had a little bit more buzz. A little side note, Adam Kwapinski, one of the uh, designers credited on this, did uh, Lords of Hellas, Origins, First Builders, Frostpunk, and of course, Nemesis. For me, he's on a tear. And I think at this point, if he's going to put something out there, I'm going to buy it. Now, who's it for? This is a little bit trickier. Uh, it is a thinky Euro game. You're not going to be pointing fingers. You're not, there's, there's going to be no laughter. <laughs> You're not building <laughs> massive fleets or pressing your luck. You're thinking. And I think for some people hearing me say that, you already know. Oh, well, that reminds me of like a brass, a boon lake, a maracaibo. So if that's your jam, you're probably going to like Terracotta Army. What'd you think, Ryan? Was it fun? Who's it for? As many detriments I had for this game, that doesn't change the fact that, yes, it is fun. Uh, it is a game that I've seen pretty much all that I feel like I need to see of, but I'm not going to deny anybody who wants to play it. I, I will join them. It, this, this was Next this, time I want to play, we'll phone you first and be like, Ryan, can we play Terracotta? <laughs> no, I refuse. No, no, I, I will definitely play this again when asked. I, I don't own it anymore. I, I, I offloaded it. But maybe it's, I'm in the same boat as Scott where, like, Maybe it, it's a nice little refresh if I play it again in like a month or two. Uh, and I, I wouldn't mind doing that at all because this game was fun enough for me to like want to jump in and, and try to figure out like some kind of movements that I want to do that might be slightly different from the last game. Maybe I'll focus more on like archers and try to get points that way. But either way, uh, it's, it's definitely one of those games that I would play if asked. Who is it for? Do I believe? I feel like this is for chess players. Someone who likes to like figure out a couple moves ahead of time and try to make the best with what they have available to them. I, I feel like this is one of those kind of games for those like think ahead strategic kind of players and things like that because that's probably about like eighty percent of this game is doing those kinds of strategic placements, this abstract kind of board, you're trying to just determine what is the best thing that you can do. And just like chess players do as well. So I feel like it's kind of for those people uh, who enjoy a game like that, like real brain burners that like just want to optimize and uh, strategize uh, ahead of time. Yeah. I, I agree with what both of you are saying. Once again, yes, I had fun. I really enjoyed this. I bought it. So, I mean, that, that says something right there. Correct. Uh, and I know that I bought it just after Patrick, you were in there looking at it. Someone said they, that you were there. I'm going to pick it up. No, I'm not. And I right, went in our and, hobby whoop. shop. They had a sale on what was it? Black. It was after Black Friday. It was a uh, small business Saturday. And yeah. I was in there that morning. I had to pick up some, some <clears> things and. I was like, oh, is Terracotta Army still back there? And they're like, yeah. And I thought about it and I thought I was this close, this close. And I came back like two days later, not to buy it. I was just staying again. They're like, oh, by the way, uh, Scott picked it up. I was like, oh, no kidding. Good for Scott. <laughs> and right, the wheel. to play it after all. <laughs> and this is how the world turns. Yeah. All right. Back to you, Scott. <laughs> but yes, I did enjoy it. It was one of those games that 
a lot of times we get into the mechanics and with Patrick and me enjoying the experience of this game. This one here, there's no experience in this game. You don't have a good time where you're sitting there and you're like building a story. I mean, I'm sorry. I've seen enough pictures of the Terracotta Army that this, I I cannot even remotely think that this is that. No, this is more. They're all lined up like a, like a cluster that's trying to get Tickle Me Elmo uh, when it releases. They're going in all kinds of directions and stacked on top of each other. (laughs) But this was one that it scratched that itch of one that I want to sit there and ponder whenever I'm playing it. Who's it for? I didn't even think about this. But yeah, like you said, chess players are going to be looking at this in the same way. I know whenever I play chess, you kind of get that a beautiful mind moment. But instead of me having like all the different algebraic terms going through my head, I'm busy looking and seeing like what spots light up as to where my best move is going to be. I thought it was fun. Ryan? Play the game. Enjoy it. Patrick? Absolutely. Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, hey, you he said it twice, so that means he's serious. Uh, so it, that is Terracotta Army from Board and Games? Dice Board and Dice. Board and, Board and, and dice. dice. Board and Dice. Board and Dice. Factory 42, the game tells the story of the work week of Marxist drawers in a steampunk industrial setting, placing the player in the role of factory overseers. It combines worker placements and a cube tower to create a resource management puzzle. Factory 42 is cutthroat competitive game with elements of cooperation and deal involving economics, fantasy, industry, and negotiation with a pinch of satire. Remember, in Factory 42, satire pinches you. Ha, ha, ha. Scott, one year ago we did Factory 42, and this is one that I exclusively did as uh, I had played it with my group. You and I hadn't had the chance to play it together. Okay, so right off the bat, Factory 42, we've got, uh, we'll call it a worker placement game where you have shared goals. It can be quite cutthroat. It is a competitive game. I'm not going to belabor the point because we are running long on the episode. This is one that I sold. Uh, I don't think that I have, now, uh, as adventurers, as you know, I sold, uh, I sell almost all of the review games that we do, and this one was in that pile as well. It's a very specific game that wants a very specific group. Uh, I played it a few times with that group, and we're ready to move on. No one has requested it since either. I liked it. I still like it, I think, for a very specific group that likes a negotiating, backstabbing type of game. This is going to hit home. That said, it is... the rule book was tricky. It was a difficult rule book, and it took us at least the first game to fully comprehend it. Factory 42, uh, one year later, I can give it a soft recommend. You've just got to have the right group. Hey, King, you remember we talked about Factory 42? Yeah, you you seem to really like that one. Heck yeah, I did. And we even got a level up promo card in their Kickstarter last year. <laughs> I, I remember uh, a bit of level up for the show getting that promo from Dragon Dawn. And you know they did Grey Eminence. And Michelle as well. Uh, we've done a bit for them, actually. Well, now they're going to do a bit for our listeners. Did you manage to get another promo code? 
Oh, you bet, King. 10% off this one is using promo code Level Up on their website. Now, this is for anything on their site. Mm-hmm. White Hat, Gray Eminence, Factory 42, Beyond the Rift, everything. Even the giant Dungeon Crawler Perdition's Mouth Abyssal Rift. Everything is 10% off with promo code L-E-V-E-L-U-P. So, if I'm seeking a new adventure, where does I journey to use this mythical promo code spell? Two easy ways to do it. You can click on the logo for Dragon Dawn on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com or get on over to ddpgames.com and click shop. I, I Easily, I gotta tell you, one of my favorite things we're able to do with this show is find some ways to help adventurers save some money and score some loot. So get on with it, adventures. ddpgames.com, click shop, promo code L-E-V-E-L-U-P. Level up. tell you uh, ryan i know you're in the same camp here i have been on a tear with learning games lately i keep sending scott pictures hey i learned this one hey i learned that one hey i learned this one normally i'm the type that in a month i might learn two games on my own other than that i gotta be taught but like in the last week i've learned like five it's been it's been my jam yeah i've learned about 15 (laughs) (laughs) well your teacher ryan i mean come on now oh pax was very generous at giving me new games to learn so i've been on a tangent for that the holiday season has made it so that work is very slow so i've just been going game after game sitting on the table playing it enough to learn it not usually throughout the entire game Uh, if i really like the game i play it all the way through but Mm -hmm. i just learned it enough and i played enough to learn it and then off comes the table Goes down to the basement, grab another game, set it up. Well, you know what I'm sitting there thinking as I'm learning. Sometimes I'll set up a game and I'll start to learn it and I'll just fold it up, put it back. And then sometimes I'll sit down to learn a game and I just go the whole way through. And I was thinking, what are some of those differentiators? Like, what is it that makes a game easy for me to learn, tough to learn? I thought maybe that would make for an interesting discussion topic. So, guys, I'll start right here uh, with games that are kind of difficult because I'm telling you that happens with me. I will sit down, I'll open a box and I'll take out pieces, I'll punch a bunch of the chits, you know, the little cardboard tiles i'll open the rule book and then i'll be like yeah i don't have this in me and i, I just put it away mm. i'm thinking what what are the things that let's start here any games you guys have that happen with you where like you open the rule book you're like i'm gonna be able to, to to do this i'm learning it tonight and you just completely bail i did i did um even the even the great and wise teacher ryan has some games that are just too powerful for him to learn <laughs> well, what what got you I'll tell you a little bit about it. Uh, we played in a class tournament, me and Patrick. And uh, if you actually placed, then you got some discount uh, on some of the games at that booth. I picked up the game with that discount coupon. I picked up the game Tindaya. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tindaya seemed pretty, pretty good. It looked, just by looking at the box, not even knowing anything about it, it seemed like the game that would hit me the most. Uh, it seemed okay. like a nice little economic places, dudes on a map on like hexes and like you get resources from that. And then like you build up your economy, almost like a 4X, except for you're not really attacking anybody. You're just trying to appease the gods. I got it home. I punched it. There was a lot of chits. Set it up. The rule book, by the way, was not good. I'm going to say Uh-oh. this ahead of time. The mm. rule book was not good. I even had to look up a bunch of different videos to, for anybody who has even set it up and try to set it up the way they they had it. Uh, just because I could not figure out how to set it up from this rule book. This rule book had very tiny text. It had places everywhere for setup. 
And then like later on, it said, oh, by the way, if it's two players, you're going to do this instead. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, okay, great. So I have to change it up a little bit. But eventually I got it set up and it looked beautiful. It looked brilliant. There was a lot of things to look at. I could not figure this out. Uh, I watched playthrough videos if I could. I read the rule book over and over again. And it just got to the point where I was like, oh, wow, I'm actually trying to involve myself in this for about like six hours now. It was an entire day of like <laughs> rule books every so often and videos every so often. I just, I did not have the time. At some and I was point, like, you got to throw in the towel. I figured also after reading the rule book and watching a gameplay, I was like, this game probably isn't necessarily for me. And so I put it away. And it is for sale now. Oh, my. Scott, have <laughs> you ever had a game hit you the wrong way as you're trying to learn it and you just bail? I mean, I didn't completely bail, but Terracotta Army, like I said, I was angry whenever I went to bed <laughs> reading that rule book. But once I got an idea of it, it, it worked out well. But as far as one that I've just completely given up on, mm-hmm. there's none that really come to mind on that. Because normally I I would look at things and it has to be something really that draws me in that I want to buy this game and try it. There's few times that I'm just like, I'm going to buy this on a whim. The only closest other one I could think of was Cryo whenever I looked at that. And I looked out of the, the rule book a couple times on that. And there were things that just weren't going together for me. Once again, I got to it. But at the time, I was just like... Ah, I might be getting rid of this one quickly. But now, since we've played it, I really do enjoy Cryo quite a bit. So uh, there's nothing that I've ever actually done and just like wash my hands of it. I'm done. Take it. Get it out of my face. Never bailed. Good for you. No. I'm proud of you, King. I don't know that I've bailed on them. I know I, I, I know there have been games that I've set up and taken down, but I always have the intent like, oh, I'm going to get back to that. I, none come immediately to mind, but there are some that were very difficult. Like I remember learning Dungeon Degenerates. Uh, it was mind boggling. Uh, I set it up. I actually got to play through most of the intro game, but you know what happens is I'm like, this is a campaign game that is going to be very difficult to teach. I'm going to have my buddies over and we're going to have this in mind that we're going to play like three or four games and two hours in, they'll still be asking, wait, how do I move? What do I do if I try and teach them Dungeon Degenerates? And it's, well, uh, this just isn't going to be a game that is for our group. Same thing happened with Cloud Spire. There's so much going on in there, and I had it figured out. I played one-on-one against myself, and then, uh, realistically, Pat, who are you ever going to play this with? You know, what are you going to have, Jeremy? Like, I don't have people over just by themselves to play a game. You know, I, I got a family and whatnot. So I think for me, that's that's one of the big roadblocks. And that's kind of where I wanted to take this is, what are some of the roadblocks? What makes these games tough for us to learn, I'll lead it off. So many pieces and cards and modules. If I open a box and I've got to sort for like an hour before I even crack the rule book, oh man, that that can make it so tough. I learned uh, Wasteland Express Delivery Service, and I really like that game, but it is an hour of punching out cardboard. That, <laughs> that box, it is tall, and I'm saying the first two inches of it is cardboard punch outs oh my goodness games that do that that immediately is like a roadblock in the am i actually going to learn this thing or is this gonna pull a tendaya with ryan and just go right to the cell pod? what do you guys think what are some of the roadblocks that get in the way i have a really bad habit of overthinking the rules 
I will go through and I will look at something and I will think it goes one way when it's really supposed to go a completely different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know one that came up was Oceans, the uh, second part from uh, Evolution. I'm trying to figure it out because I'm thinking, well, I need to have an actual card out there that these traits are going to line up on, not thinking that this beast that has these traits, you don't actually have a card that is said beast. Yes, mm-hmm. I use quotes. I overthink things, and I think things are going to go a certain way. And uh, granted, sometimes I'm a little stubborn where I will go through, and I'm like, well, it's not working the way that I think it should, so something must be wrong. Um, So that's Get my biggest thing there is the overthinking of it. Yes, yeah. yes. So I'm the kid at the gifted school that's pushing on the pool door. <laughs> Very good. Ryan, what's a good road? What's a roadblock? What's something that gets in your way of learning or that makes a game really difficult? I have none. Yeah, come on. <laughs> There's <laughs> got to be something. No, no. Uh, yeah, there is definitely something. And I, I think it has to do with the rule book uh, for the most part. All things lead to the rule book. But for the most part, if a rule book is not put together well, then it's going to detriment your learning ability of the game. There may be videos that help, but for the most part, if you're trying to learn a game on yourself and let's say it's a brand new game where a video isn't out yet, then you're going to have to rely on one set of pages, and that is the mm-hmm. rule book. And so like, if the rule book is not done well so that you can learn the game, then you're not going to learn the game well. And that is a, a rule block that um, has affected me a couple of times. Eventually, it got to the point where I had another medium where I could learn the game, but for the most part... When trying to learn a new game, uh, the rulebook is what I go to, and it needs to be well done in order for mm-hmm. me to understand a game. So let's presume that we've got a good rulebook, a decent rulebook, right? You, you just came home from, from your local game store. You got that new game in shrink wrap, right? What's the ritual? How do we go about learning? I just wanted to, to hear, you know, we've all learned now dozens, hundreds of games for that matter, by ourselves, on our own. What's the strategy? How do you go about learning it? I'll jump into this first if yeah, you do not mind. All right. yours. Okay. So I removed the sh- hand. I had to I had to set myself in an upright position. Yeah, you did. Position in order to <laughs> like, your hat and everything. Start rolling through this. All right. The floor is yours. Thank you. Uh, as a teacher of games, I've had to play quite a few of them. I even put forth my own challenge of playing 365 different board games over the course of a year, and the minimum amount of time to play them would have been have to have been like 30 minutes. So I can't cheat by playing a game of Yahtzee. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no thanks. Can't like, play that. There you go. <laughs> so that's an average of a game a day for me to learn, and there was uh-huh. a reason why I did that. The first thing I do as I punch out the game, I don't even care to look at anything that I'm punching out or anything along those lines because there's going to be a, a time for that. So I punch out the game, uh, I un- unshrink the cards, and I have them set to the side. Basically, I empty out the entire box other than, you know, uh, probably an insert. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so all these pieces are scattered on my table. The very first thing I do is in the rulebook, I go to the components and I separate the components based on what it says. And I really hone into that because the components are what makes the game. They're, they're going mm-hmm. to be a part of the game. And so you need to know what they are. So in the rulebook, uh, I'm separating out these pieces. Okay. These cards are the, the event cards. Okay. Cool. I'm going to put them in a pile and just try to memorize that they're the event cards. This little token that looks like a piece of wood is a resource token. Okay. Cool. I know what a resource token is. But I separated them out into their individual pieces off to the side of my table, and then I go to the setup. 
and I try to set the game up without referring to the components page again. I really want to try to focus on what this component is. As mm-hmm. far as the setup is concerned, when it says put it on this part of the board. Okay, I remember that this part of the board is the resource, I guess, pool. That's where all the resources go. Okay, I now know that this is the function of that spot on the game board. Mm-hmm. And I do that for all of the rest of the components until setup is complete. Then I go through the rulebook. And I, I don't play the game until I finish the rulebook. If a game tells you to, uh, this is how an example of this turn works, I am physically picking up the piece in a tactile way. I am doing what the action is telling me this is how it works. So that in, when I actually play the game, uh, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like physical memory. Like uh, muscle memory. You've muscle done memory. It there you go. I have done sure. it. But that is the way that I learn how to play the game. If I don't know how it works, uh, then I keep on at it until I do figure it out. And I'm saying this as an example of what I do. And the reason mm-hmm. being is because I have played so many games to learn them just so that I can be a board game teacher. If you play more and more games, then you are going to have a better idea of what a game designer wants you to do. And because I played a game many, many times, when a designer says something like, uh, place a worker here and do this, it, it just comes naturally to me now. Um, but that's personally, uh, that's part of that is personal. Uh, everything else is probably what other people should do to try to learn a game. And that's how I learn games to teach you guys. Scott, what you got? What's, what's the, well, ritual? I think how, how do we go you, about getting in the mindset? You really hit on something there, Ryan. First of all, I tend to get the game out and see what's in it. Then I get an idea of what I think it's going to be. Then I'll watch a, a quick video. I usually like, if something's like three minutes, four minutes, I'll watch something, give me a brief overview of everything. Then I'll go back in and get into the rule book because I kind of have an idea of they want me to get from Albuquerque to Bangor, Maine. So I know where the start and finish is. Now I'm going to read the map and see how to get to one point to the other. Whenever I was trying to look at Terracotta Army, it did help me a lot more there. Whenever I got out all the components and looked at the component list, this is this. This is this. And I also did it with, last night I was just punching out stuff for City Builder from Inside Up Games. Everything looks similar, but then you have to go through and like, these are this, these are this. Now, granted, they have an awesome insert in the box there to put everything. Everything has its place. So that worked out really, really well. But, yeah, I think it's one of those things where I really tend to look at the bigger picture real quick with a video or something. And then I'll go in and read the roadmap as to how I'm supposed to get from point A to point B. Okay, so you guys gave us a lot of the technical side of it. I'm going to give adventurers what they're really looking for. And that's that's (laughs) how to set the mood. For learning, right? How do you get in the mindset? All right. Step one. Step one, if you have a room with lights that have a dimmer switch, you're going to want to dim the lights a little bit. Better yet, if you have candles, turn the lights out and turn on the candles. All right. That's what you want to do. Now, you want to get the game, right? And you want to hold it close. You want to hold it tight. Let the game know, first of all, that you're not a threat. All right. If it thinks Patrick, you're I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm feeling <laughs> uncomfortable. I-, I was about to say, Scott, is this where we try to stop him right here? 
Okay, guys. Uh, we probably should have done that like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Look, at this point, I feel like we're pretty good at learning rules. We've learned a lot of games. Hopefully our, con- you know, what, what we've said, and especially what Ryan being a, a, a teacher of games has said helps out a bit, but I wanted to, uh, to throw out some of the things that we heard from people on our social media. I threw this one up and some of the responses we got. I'll just go over these with you guys just to give a, a, a little extra. Jason says, I'm usually going to look for a rules video or a playthrough after I tackle the rules and see the pieces as a means of sort of confirming that he's got it down. Sue says, play it by yourself with the rules in your hand. Then you'll be better qualified to teach. Sometimes the rules don't make sense until you try to follow them. Brittany says, Rodney, always Rodney, <laughs> which of course is Rodney Smith from Watch It Played. My boy Thor. Such a great, who's such, got- such a great guy, by the way. Oh. My guy Thor, who, by the way, is named Thor, let that soak in. He says, set up the game before reading the rules. Move the pieces as if playing, then reread the rules before the second playthrough to catch those unavoidable mistakes that you ran into. And Thor says, don't use video walkthroughs if you learn like I do. Apparently, he doesn't learn from the video. So you know what? I can relate to that, Thor. Lastly, Adam says, go through the rules a bit and set it up and play two-handed. Helps me see the mechanics click over the solo options and whatnot. And you know what? I find that helps me too. If I get to actually play two-handed, uh, play me against me, and actually go through the motions of turns, I feel like that really helps. Every single one of them I agree with, I think. Even the Rodney Smith one, I love Rodney Smith's videos. Keep on doing it that way, and you will eventually get these games. Guys, I know we're going long for the episode. I'm going to squeeze one more thing in. I have both of you in the same room, which inevitably means I can't help but have a little game with you, too. So we're going to play a game called What Board Game Are These Cards From? So here's how this one works, guys. I have a list of 14, and each one of these numbers has three cards that come from a game. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read them out, and the first person to ding in is going to get the chance to answer. All right? Winner gets bragging rights until next time. You ready? All right. Let's do it. I'm taking on the king. This is uh, this is an honor. The teacher and the king. Question number one. Chain Lightning. Jace the Mind Sculptor. King Scott. Magic the Gathering. Boom. Point for the king. Number two. Franklin's Gull. Chihuahuan Raven. Ryan. Wingspan. Oh, he's on it. One-to-one and a tie game. Number three. Warrington and Runcorn. Barrow and Furnace. Manchester. King Scott! I want to say, is it Brass? It is Brass! I'm impressed. Two-to-one in favor of the king. I didn't Number even know they four. had names. <laughs> <laughs> Number four. Kelp Farming. Dimos down, giant asteroid. Ryan? Terraforming Mars. Oh, we got a tie game, boys. Number five. Cheetah, science lab, Australia expert. Ryan? Arc Nova. Oh, and he takes the lead three to two as we go to number six. Guild ambassador, smuggler's thopter. Ixian Engineer. King Scott. Dune Imperium. Yeah, that one was favoring you. You got me with Thropter. (laughs) All right, here's here's a tricky one. Journal. Pathfinder's Staff. Large Backpack. Ryan. Lost Ruins of Arnak. 
Wow, I thought that was going to be hard. Those are so generic. Mm, it's my I second favorite game. That one. I tried to put, like, the card that gives it away is the last one. So let's go to number eight. Innkeeper. Minor Mole. Evertree. Ryan. Everdell. Oh, that was so oh. close. Scott, you were right oh. behind him. Five to three as we go to number nine. Rocket Boots. Hawkeye. Avengers Mansion. Ryan. I mean, this could actually be a few different things, but I'm going to go with Marvel Champions. That's the one that I had in mind, so I'm glad you said that, because I could not confirm nor deny anything else, and King, I'm disappointed in you. I totally had it out before him! (laughs) Number 10. Secret Tome. Monkey Bot 3000. This is one of my favorites, and my wife and I just played this, but it is Clank, which is literally right there. I'm pointing to it. That's true. We're at 7-3, to three, so Ryan, you're going to get the win. We're going to play it out so that the king can save face. Number 11, Bulbasaur, Charizard, Scott? Pokemon. Of course, the guy that owned the shop. You got it. Number Ooh, Pocket 12. Monster. I can't wait to see who gets this one. Number 12. Miss Beatrice Bonham, Theodore, Earl of Ponsonby, Lady Margaret Carlo. Ryan? I'm so upset that King Scott didn't even hit the dinger to say obsession. Obsession it is, and we're at eight to four. And okay. there's the Patrick there is the Sir Patrick Stewart hand in face. Yep. <laughs> number, number thirteen. Village Witch. Dutchie. Scott. Um, oh, damn. Dominion. <laughs> yes, damn it, Dominion. Damn it, Dominion it is. Last question. Wood, brick, sheep. King Scott. Catan. Or Catan Settlers of Catan. What, I, I don't want to be... I, I, or What is Settlers Catan? That's another game. that like, You know, I said the oh, Blanca, right. Blanca thing. When when I always called it Catan, and then people are like, oh, you want to play Catan? And I'm like, it's not Catan, it's Catan. <laughs> or or Catan. <laughs> okay, Ka-tan. so a nine to five. Teacher Ryan, well done. Well done. Well done, sir. Bragging rights. Blood rage. <laughs> All right, let's hit the button and get out of here. All right, guys, as we do every episode, we're going to finish today with how we leveled up. Ryan, why don't you take the floor as the guest? Well, thank you very much. In these recent months, I have been able to work at a lovely job that I've had for quite some time. And for the longest time, I've been trying to throw myself out there as someone who wants to manage the department that, for the most part, I started and make it its own thing and be able to do what I would need uh, to better this department for the the company. And mm-hmm. just recently, I would say within the last two weeks, I actually got a raise hey. to go along with the promotion that was given to me to be the manager of this department. Well um, done. I even well, had congrats. a... Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I, I I feel like it is a long time coming and I'm really glad to to be able to do so. And it came with a surprise too, because I needed another permanent person and they gave that to me at the same time. So now I don't have to go to a different person every day and I can officially be a manager who gets to choose, you know, what happens to this department and how we go going forward. And it really feels good to be recognized. And I, I'm just really happy with that. So that's how I leveled up and also promoted up. So well done. 
<laughs> King, what you got? What's your level up since last episode? Well, since last episode, I've had a little bit of time at home and after packs and after all the running around, I got a new game topper. So I figured it's time to start really working on the game room for myself here. So I got mm-hmm. rid of my old stereo I've had since I was 16. And yes, it was one of those big console stereos. I'm 16. Old. What is that? Like a hi-fi? <laughs> Uh, it it felt fe- it didn't have an eight track. I it it did not have an eight track. Sixteen. But, it had uh, a cassette deck then. Yes, yes. Did so it still uh, it was nice to get rid of it and start clearing things out and making this room an actual place to play games. I can't wait till it gets even more completed. But that is where I'm gonna hang my hat with how I leveled up. Oh, what about you, Patrick? Very nice, Scott. For me, it's a little holiday gaming with the king. Uh, Scott, you had the chance to come over. We haven't been able to do that for a while. What with you on the road? I uh, did a little gift exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Scott, you were kind mm-hmm. enough, so kind to give me two games. I've had my eyes on Monolith Arena for a long time, as well as at the gates of Loyang. So I'm super excited to use the tips that you guys gave me to sit down and, you know, turn, turn the lights down low and. Sit down with the rule book and find right. those games. Oh, the- here we go again. My level up was getting to spend a little time with the king again. What with my job and, and you being on the road, we haven't been able to do that so much. That was pleasant. right, right. Adventures, if you didn't listen last week, we had our side quest talking all about board game tables, now known or going to be known as All Play. They had a little rebranding. Josh and I take you over six games of theirs after teaching them at PAX. We hope you have a happy, happy new year. Scott, why don't you give us the final sign-off of 2023? Oh, well, whenever you are in a, in a sword fight for your life, be sure to hold the right end of the sword. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, Always do what you can to level up.